We praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Spirit. Triune God, we rejoice in your grace that you disclose your mind and your heart to us through Jesus and through your word. We pray now that you would pour out your spirit and illumine the reading and preaching of the word of God, that we would not just hear what your word has to say to us, but that we would respond to it with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. Well, church, I am so excited to introduce to you, or you've met her before, but um, to introduce you again, our intern, our pastoral intern, Aaron Rose, um, who will be preaching to us today. Aaron, I met Aaron about seven or eight years ago when I was pastoring one of our church plants, Easton Fellowship, um, and Aaron was a, a, a music worship intern that summer, um, and I immediately realized that this was a really gifted person, and we went on to hire Aaron as our director of worship. and. Um, she's been now at East End for all of those years, um, leading and directing and overseeing all of the worship and music there. She's a really gifted music and worship leader. Um, and she is now an intern here with us. In addition to that, um, she's about halfway through a seminary degree at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And we're, we're so grateful to, um, to have her and her gift of teaching and preaching um, as we hear from her today. So let me um, read God's word, and you can join me there on page 10. As we begin to come to the finish of this amazing story of the book of Ruth that we've been studying together, you can find that on page 10 or in your Bibles, in Ruth chapter 4. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying... A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. How y'all feeling today? You guys look good. You look gorgeous. So I'm really grateful to be standing before you today to share some of what God has given to me. I love being here as often as I'm able to be. Um, so in the first two services, I went solidly five minutes over my allotment. But Corey told me I could preach as long as I wanted this service. So get comfortable. Yes, you did. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so throughout this sermon series on Ruth, the sermon series has been Love Without Limits. We've been talking about love and each focus has been on the characteristics of love. And we've been learning how to spot love when we're on the move. How to make sure that what I'm feeling and what I'm giving out is actually biblical love. In Corey's sermon series, uh, we've learned that love gives, love redeems, love risks, Love provides, love protects, love works, love commits, love suffers, love is without limits. 
It's been like 1 Corinthians 13 uh, revamps for 2018. And I think Corey's trying to breathe new life into your wedding ceremonies. This week is no different. We are exploring a love that rejoices. We're talking so much about love because of this term that's found in the Old Testament. It's called hesed. And it's really prominent in the book of Ruth. It's, in fact, it's the thread that holds the entire book together. And we've learned so far that hesed is hard to translate into English because it's a word that has layered meaning. And I tried to think of a word in English that is similar to hesed. And the only thing I could come up with in the few moments before I came up here was soul food. So y'all know because y'all are good Richmond people what soul food is, right? So if I say, I'm finna have some soul food, you can picture I'm getting ready to have some fried chicken, collard greens, mac and cheese, and candied yams, right? So that's just, but you know that there's another layer of meaning when I say soul food and why we call it soul food. Because in my mind, I'm picturing my aunties and my grandma who fried up that chicken, who labored in the presence of God making that mac and cheese and candied yams on my behalf. Like I'm thinking about them, but I'm also thinking about man. When I was eating that food, I was in a place that, in which I was known, in which I was secure, in which I was safe, in which I was cared for. So that's like the layering of the term soul food. So hesed is the same as soul food. That word means, hesed means, a loyal, steadfast, persisting, and grace-filled love. It's a sacrificial kind of love, a love that goes beyond what is expected or what is required. And all the previous weeks feel like they fit with the gravity of Hesed, because that definition feels very serious. It goes beyond what is expected or required. So we've had love commits, love risks, love provides, love works, love suffers. Very heavy stuff. And so this week we're at Love Rejoices on the penultimate sermon in the series. And I want you to resist whatever temptation you might have to consider this a flyover sermon, a flyover topic, because it's so important to have the type of love that rejoices. It's easy for us to apply our efforts towards the aspects of love that feel like duty. I'm a very duty-bound person. I feel like I do these things, I'm a good Christian, and it has to hurt for it to mean something. I mean, I carry my cross, I sacrifice for the name of Jesus, this world is not my own, I afflict my flesh. But this one, love rejoices, it's a love, an aspect of love that's mutually beneficial. So let's look a little closely. I want to talk to you about three things. One, love rejoices in the hesed of God. Two, love rejoices in the victory of God. And three, so sweetly, love rejoices in you. In the last chapter of the book of Ruth, we find women rejoicing in Naomi. And that's a far cry from where we started in chapter one. We know that Ruth is a book that centers women, thanks be to God. And we've been talking about Ruth and Naomi for weeks. But this book also involves every single woman in the town of Bethlehem. And I might be exaggerating, but I might not be. You have to take me at my word for the next 20 minutes. These women appear in verse 14, and the role that these women play in the story is an interesting one. These women take notice. See, they're the ones that are rejoicing in chapter four, and it's their rejoicing upon which that I'm building this entire sermon. So take a second and just imagine this crew of women from the town of Bethlehem 
taking notice, but not just taking notice, not just observing, they speak too. So in chapter one, Naomi's just experienced unfathomable heartbreak. She's left her homeland because of famine. She's moved into a foreign place among foreign people. And then she loses her husband. Well, she still has two sons left. The sons marry women, and, but you know what? They get married, but there's 10 years and there's no children. And then the sons die. And the they sons die and, le- and Naomi is left alone without protection, without even grandsons as a backup, as a backup plan in a time when women needed a man for their safety, for their well-being, for their survival. It appears that she's not quite alone, though, because she's left with two daughters-in-law, both of whom are l- willing to stay with her, both of, you, both of whom love her, and uh, she successfully pushes one of them away. The other, Ruth, stays. She says something in verse 13 of chapter 1 when she's trying to convince those young women to leave her. She says, no, my daughters, no. It is more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. That seems like a pretty relatable heart response when you consider everything that Naomi's been through. What other possibility could there be? How else could she explain the events in her life? At one point, she was fine. She had a husband, she had kids, she had a life, and then boom, everything changed. It all falls apart. And Naomi repeats a similar sentiment in verse 20. She arrives back in Bethlehem because she'd heard that the famine was over. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. And Naomi had gotten word that the house of bread that was once empty is now full again. And when she got back into the when she got back in town, the woman said, Oh shoot! And then Naomi. Hey, girl. And she says, don't you dare. Don't you call me Naomi. My name is Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And I'm sure at that response, those women went about their business. See, even at the mention of her name, Naomi means pleasantness, she was struck with the incongruity of that reality and the actual reality of her life. She didn't even want to be associated with anything good, with anything kind, with anything lovely, because her life was so bitter. It was so sad. You ever get like that? When everything is going absolutely wrong and someone says something that in any other circumstance would be completely innocuous, completely innocent, or they ask you a simple question and you just go slam off on them. Or somebody said, "Uh uh-huh, you know. (laughs) Or somebody notices something is a little off with you and they try to offer some encouragement and you either think or say, depending on your personality type, if you really knew what my life was like, you would be miserable too. Seriously, if I was that crew of women that crew of women, I would literally be like, listen, and Naomi hollered at me like that, I would pick my, my face up off the ground, put it back on, and go about my business for the rest of the day. But Naomi is right in the thick of it. She's lost everything. She's got this worrisome daughter-in-law who won't leave her alone in her misery, and now she's got to go back to face her hometown and be a, a spectacle, an object of pity. But because we are at this point in the story, We're in chapter four as the reader. We know that the hesed of God has been working the entire time. The loyal love of God has been playing the long game. 
It's been orchestrating events and softening hearts and emboldening women to make incredible asks of wealthy men. And, knit, and it's been knitting everything together so that we could get here. And so where is here? Well, Ruth and Boaz get married. And not only that, Ruth conceives and bears a son. And the women from chapter one come back. And now they may not be the same women, but in my mind, it's the same exact group of women who got told off in the beginning. And these women remember Naomi's desolate state when she returned to Bethlehem. They remember when she came back with absolutely nothing. They remembered when, that her heart was so broken and she didn't even want to be called by her name. They remembered that it had seemed like God had forsaken her. But now look, not only had God not forsaken her, he'd redeemed her. That Moabite woman that Naomi had dragged with her back to Bethlehem had actually turned out to be pretty valuable. She stayed with Naomi. She labored with Naomi. She went out on a limb for Naomi. She worked for Naomi. And look at this. That girl went and married into that rich family. And guess what? They had a baby boy. Jackpot. <laughs> Listen, and with just that one Moabite daughter, Naomi ended up better off than, she, than if she had had seven sons. And in that culture, you could not beat having one son, let alone seven. So these women, having this context in their mind, cannot help but to rejoice in the Lord on behalf for his faithfulness, for his hesed toward her. So the first point I wanna say is that love rejoices in the hesed of God. It's almost like they were saying, hey, remember when you first got here and you were really, really bitter and you changed your name? too bitter because you were so bitter remember when you said that the hand of the Lord had turned against you well it turns out everything was working together for your good God didn't forget you God didn't leave you all of your pain resulted in something better than any of us could have thought or hoped for or imagined blessed be the name of the Lord who has not left you and that my friends is what the hesed of God is our God will not leave you he does not stop fighting for you. He does not stop loving you. He does not stop working on your behalf. Our God is faithful and he will not leave you. One thing to notice is that Naomi is not singing this over herself. It's the women around her. It's the community around her that are acknowledging the hesed of God. So just for a moment, take a second not to examine where you can see the hesed of God in your own life. But ask the Holy Spirit to heighten your awareness to see it in the lives of others. What difference would it make in your life if you were consistently aware of God's faithfulness, faithfulness in the lives of other people and not just aware, but rejoiced over them? Because those women, they did not just observe, they spoke too. And there's power in our words, y'all. How would our lives change? How would their lives change? How would it change our perception of God? How would it change our perception of ourselves, of the things that we have and the things that we don't have? Let me tell you, I know exactly how it would change. Listen, if we would be obedient to the commandment of God that says love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your might, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, we'd be following the greatest commandments to love God and to love people. We'd get our eyes off of our own selves, off of our own lives, off of our own problems, and we see how God is working mightily in the lives of other people, and we'd give glory to God and strengthen our brothers and sisters.
We don't know all the way how Naomi reacts, but it seems like she's not reacting as harshly as she did in chapter one. I'm picturing Naomi enthroned and they're rejoicing. And it's not about what she's done, but it's about what the Almighty has done on her behalf. The Almighty has done the opposite of forget her. And it seems actually like she's been on the forefront of his mind. The nourishment and care for her soul that these, these women's rejoicing must have done. It's because it's one thing to see the goodness of God for yourself, but it's entirely another thing for someone to recognize it and to shout it over you. And this is what we are called to do. We are called to exhort and encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord to remind them of what the Lord has done. And on a large level, we do this when we come together every Sunday. Every Sunday we gather in the Lord's house and we read or we recite words of God's great works that maybe we've heard a thousand million trillion times. We sing songs that have been sung for generations over and over again and it's because we are reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God that's been at work since before the world began. I'm a worship leader so this is my favorite thing. I love to hear congregations singing. Like it just, it really, I mean, it blesses me. And so what, ha what I do, if I lead worship at Easton Fellowship, so if you guys ever come, four o'clock at the Robinson Theater, if you're, if you're interested. If you ever come, we'll have like a big song and it does get loud in there, I'm not gonna lie, lots of drums, toms, singing loud, but I usually, like on every song, I'll be like, just the voices. And I just hear the congregation singing. They're singing to God, and it does something for the congregation to hear itself singing as well. And this is what's happening. In that moment, and maybe selfishly I'm doing this, but I'm not gonna lie to y'all, I'm gonna stand up here and be honest. In that moment, my faith is increased. Because if God is that real to these people in this moment that they're lifting up their voices in concert to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then man, that God can be that much more real to me. My awareness of God is enlarged. And sometimes you do have to be like David and encourage yourself, but there's something beautiful about a brother or a sister encouraging me in the Lord because sometimes, yes, sometimes, I am too weary in well-doing. I am too weary on this journey to see the hesed of God on my own. Sometimes, we have this phrase in churchdom where it says, um, we have this Ebenezer. You know, here I raise my Ebenezer. Y'all remember that? I know y'all remember. And uh, it's like this testament of where God has shown his faithfulness, a testament of where God has uh, delivered us or brought us through something amazing. And we put our Ebenezer in the ground and we look back and say, this is the place where God was acting and I know that for sure. But sometimes I am too burdened to even lift up my head enough to see where the Ebenezer is. Sometimes the Ebenezer, it seems is too far in the distance and I'm squinting and it's it seems like all I see is desert and wasteland, and I'm gonna need some of y'all to sing God's faithfulness over me. Good love rejoices in the hesed of God. And my prayer for us today is that a mark of our love as believers, a mark of our love as Christian brothers and sisters, was that we would see the hesed of God, the handiwork of God, the faithfulness of God in the lives of each other and sing it over, not just observing, not just looking, but shouting it over other people.
That's how love rejoices in the hesed of God. Number two, love rejoices in the victory of God. We can't talk about the hesed of God without talking about the victory of God. The steadfast love of God is always working for our good and his glory. The women around Naomi exclaimed, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And this is a happy ending if I've ever heard of one. From complete disaster to complete restoration, complete redemption, it's a complete turnaround. And the women of Bethlehem have not only acknowledged what God has done, that he hasn't left Naomi without a redeemer, but they're looking forward to what this son will be. They say of this baby, they say that he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And whether this little boy likes it or not, he's going to be a blessing to his grandma. In these women's eyes, it's already been settled. The issue has been resolved. Baby Obed, who they named, by the way, will nourish and restore. Naomi will be hopeless and on the outs no more. The baby is the answer. Thanks be to God for the victory that he has wrought on Naomi's behalf. But oh, these sweet women, they had no idea of the monumental truth of their words of their eternal significance. Because if they thought that Obed was going to be a redeemer and a restorer and a nourisher and that he was the victory of God, I know that their minds would be blown if they knew what we know right now. That that sweet, precious baby Obed, a tree of life for his mother Ruth and his grandmother Naomi, would have a sweet baby that would have a sweet baby that would have a sweet baby. And almost 30 generations later, a sweet baby would be born that would be a redeemer and a restorer of the entire world. And that baby would be named Jesus. We call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We call him Prince of Peace. We call him Everlasting Father. We call him Wonderful Counselor. You see, these women were prophesying over the entire earth, and they didn't even know it. Those women could not have had imagination for the promise that was in store. They could not have had an imagination for the line that was coming from this baby Obed. But we who stand at the end of the story and look back can testify that the hesed, the faithfulness of God in Naomi's life, resulted in the victory of God that rescued all of creation. Would you imagine with me for a moment... Imagine that every time we rejoice in a brother, a sister, a friend, a parent, a child, that we were prophesying over creation, that everything in our lives, the good, the bad, the good, the bad, the catastrophic, they're all pointing to a future when the ultimate victory of God will be realized. Imagine that every time we say to a formerly ailing loved one, look at how God has healed your body. God be praised. We're actually saying, look at how God will bring healing to every broken thing in existence. When we say to a grieving friend, the peace that God has given you is astounding. I remember how restless you were. I remember how anxious you were. We're actually hinting at something a little more like this. Peace, peace all around. God's wholeness and restoration is fully complete. 
And as I was examining this passage, as I was preparing to, to preach from God's word, I grew more and more convinced that within every encouragement, every encouragement is part promise. Every encouragement is a whisper of something greater that says, if you think this is good, then hang on to your hat. With every encouragement, there's a promise that one day every tear will be wiped away. No one will hunger anymore. No one will thirst anymore. And everything that is broken will be mended. So the next time you celebrate someone, the next time you rejoice in another, fix your mind on the ultimate celebration, the ultimate joy, and the ultimate laughter that is to come that's been promised to us. And this is what it's about. This is why the Lord calls the church. This is why he gathers us together. This is why we're commanded to assemble together, to live life together, to break bread together, so that we can sing over and rejoice over one another. There's this quote that I found on Facebook like five years ago, and it like moves me to tears. I lie to you not. And it says, a true friend is someone that knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. And the song in the heart of the believer is, thanks be to God, I've been redeemed, I've been restored. I used to be a slave to sin, but now I'm free. I used to be blind, but now I can see. I used to be bound up, but the shackles have fallen off of me. And I will spend an eternity with the Father in glory forever and ever and ever. But sometimes, sometimes we forget that song. And we need each other to sing it back to us. Sometimes we forget that this world is not the end. Sometimes we forget that there's an eternity coming and that's what we've been promised and then God is faithful to his promise. He promised that he would come and he did. He promised that he would send his spirit and he did. He promised that he will come again and he will. And we need each other to sing that, to shout that over us. And my prayer for us this morning is that our love for each other would mature into a love that freely rejoices in the victory of God. So we've talked about love rejoices in hesed, love rejoices in the victory of God. I want to talk to you a little bit about love rejoicing in you. We've talked a lot about the women of Bethlehem rejoicing in God and rejoicing in Naomi. But there's one more point I'd like to make. The instinct these women had when they saw evidence of the victory of God and evidence of the hesed of God didn't just come from themselves. I believe they were acting on a divine instinct that rejoices when it sees the good things that God has done. All of us, men, women, boys, girls, were made in the image of God. We bear his handprint. We are God's handiwork. And any good or positive impulse or instinct in us comes straight from the Father. And the response of these women to shout the glorious goodness of the works of God over Naomi, I believe, was a God response. How do I know this? Well, when I look at the Genesis accounts of creation, I see God creating and filling the earth. And each step of the way, God looks, takes a step back and says, dang, that was good. 
In Genesis 1:31, God saw everything that he made and behold, it says it was very good. And the phrase very good, that English translation does the Hebrew no justice. We say when we say very good, we're giving mild praise. Like when I was a little kid, I used to like I was a teacher's pet. I'm gonna be honest about that. So I used to just try to please my teacher, very eager to please. And at a certain point, she'd be like, okay, Aaron, very good. Very good, very sweet. And I was just like, okay, I get the picture. I'll go back to my seat. But here, when in the scripture, when it's saying God is calling it very good, God is saying vehemently, this is very good. God is in effect, is in effect when he surveys all of creation, God is stepping back and saying, yo, I just killed it. I'm amazing. I'm God. I love it. So just like God looks back on the things that he's done and rejoices in it and is enthroned in it, like when he rested on day seven, so these Hebrew women were following their divine impulse when they saw the good things that God had done and rejoiced in them. And wouldn't we follow that impulse in ourselves? When we see each other, when we see, listen, that's what God, God sees us, God loves us, God knows us. We are his people and he looks at us, his beautiful creation and listen, he says, I killed it with them. And it's something to consider that God would actually be pleased with something. That anything would bring him joy because God is perfect. He dwells in perfection. It says um, that God eternally dwells in unapproachable light. God is super holy, super perfect. Nobody can ever attain unto that. And that's just so opposite of everything that I am, everything that y'all are, everything that we are. And I often consider God as this mildly, like consistently mildly annoyed uncle who looks like a mixture of Merlin and Dumbledore and Scrooge, who makes sure that my needs are met and sometimes, ha sometimes has moments of accidentally giving me something I might actually want. What about you? When you picture God, what's the expression on God's face? Is God's expression, expression, whew, expression sour? Is it dour? Is it disdainful? But that's not how God really is at all. God's not looking at you with a pinched face. God actually loves us madly and deeply. Consider any relationship you have when you really, really love someone and you really want the best for them. When they're happy, you're happy. When they're sad, you're sad. When they get promoted on the job, it's like you got a promotion at work. And you're like, yes, let's go out. Let's celebrate. Let's turn up. This is the best day of our lives. You know that pure love you have for that person. Listen, if we can manage that as the selfish egomaniacs that we are, how much more, how much more deep, how much more wide, how much longer, how much fuller is the love of God toward us, his beautiful children? Because when God sees us, he sees his beautiful sons and daughters. He sees his prized possession. He sees his glorious inheritance. When God sees us, those of us who have been adopted into his family and are his royal heirs, God is pleased with us, our God rejoices in you. God sees you and approves of you and rejoices in you. Zephaniah says this of the Lord's redeemed and restored people. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And this applies to us as well. My prayer for each of us is that we would hear God singing over us, rejoicing over us, and that we would sense him quieting us with his love. People of God, I need you to know that the Lord is rejoicing over you. If you are a part of the family of God, God sees you and God approves of you. And if you're in this room today and you are far from God, you haven't considered yourself as part of the royal family of God, you haven't taken your seat at the master's table, won't you come into the Father's favor? Won't you come into the Father's grace? Won't you come in to the Father's love? He's welcoming, he's welcoming you into his family through Christ Jesus our Lord. When you trust in Jesus, you don't ever have to wonder what God thinks about you. You know that he delights in you. He rejoices over you, and who wouldn't want that? For those of us who know for sure that we are blood-bought and redeemed, we know that we are in the, in the number. Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Many of us fall into despair. Cynicism and skepticism is everywhere in our culture, and we are all infected by it. But as believers, as brothers and sisters, as Christians, as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, we are to be like the women of Bethlehem, this crew of women who had a reason to rejoice when they remembered what God had done, and they anticipated what God would do. Listen, y'all, our past is redeemed and our future is bright. So let's not join our body. Let's not join our hearts. Let's not join our members to the spirit of cynicism that exists in this world. Let us instead be builders of hope and let us shout hope into the darkness. Hope that this world is not the end. Hope that there's a king that's coming for his people. Hope that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let us remind each other of what God has done and what he will do when he renews everything. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your glory and for your goodness and for your grace. And we thank you that you give us the kind of love that rejoices over us. Lord, I pray that this week, today, that we would bask in your love and that we would actually sense you singing over us. Lord, would we sense, would we know more deeply that you love us and you are pleased with us and you approve of us because of the work of your son, Jesus? Father, I pray that we would show the love that you've given us, that kind of sacrificial love that rejoices in each other. That we would call out the faithfulness of God in the lives of our friends, of our family, of our loved ones. And that we would remind each other of where you've been working and how you've been so, so good to us. You're forever exalted. You're forever enthroned. And it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.